Hey, good, you may be seated. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I'm Pastor Brian. It's good to be back here again. I was here just a couple weeks ago, but, but uh, Pastor Mark invited me back. So Mark, thank you for inviting me back one more time. Um, we're, so, we're so glad you're here with us today. We're, we're, we're in week three of our series called The Prodigal. We're talking about the extravagant love of God. If you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. That's where we see the story. And um, today's message is the one I couldn't wait to get to. This was the one I was the most excited about because there's, there's so much in the story of the prodigal son for the older brother. And I know some of you are older brothers. I think some of you are more, if, when you look at this spectrum here, you've got rule breakers on one side and rule keepers on the other side of the spectrum. Some of you are more like the rule breaker, the prodigal son in the story. And so a lot of people have the wrong idea that the prodigal son story is for rule breakers. But actually, the prodigal son story is for rule keepers. The bigger part of the story, the the reason Jesus tells the story is to try to get a message through to all the rule keepers out there who feel like, their rule keeping makes them closer to God. Now I wanna make sure you understand, I'm not saying it's bad to keep the rules because God loves it when we honor him with our lives and our choices. But there's a difference between honoring him with our lives and our choices because we love him and we have a relationship with him and doing it because we think it's gonna earn our salvation. Doing it because we think that it's gonna make us closer to him, or almost like compel him to love us more. So the rule keeper that that keeps the rules in order to try to be right with God is really missing the God of the Bible. I just want to make sure you know that. So if you're here today and that statement that I just made is just kind of blew you away a little bit, just hang with me because we're going to learn that this is what Jesus is getting at in this whole story. But two weeks ago when I was here, I I told you, I... I, um, revealed that I'm more on the rule keeper side of the spectrum. And some of our pastoral team mocked me for saying that. I just want you to say, I, I got mocked for saying that because they think I'm, a rule, I'm more of a rule breaker because they've, they've driven with me. Now there's, a, there's I guess we're all kind of rule keepers when we want to be and rule breakers when we want to be, right? I mean, if we think the rule's good, then, then we'll keep the rule if we're okay with the rule. If we're driving 25 miles an hour in a neighborhood that doesn't have any children in it, and clearly you should be able to drive 35 miles an hour, like we're, I would imagine most of us are a little bit more on the rule breaker side of things. And of course, any parents in here, you, you want your kids to be rule keepers, right? Because you made the rules. In our home growing up, we taught, we taught our kids one rule, and it was the one rule that our, my dad taught me, it's a genius rule. Parents, you can use this. Be ready to write this one down. Oh, wait, by the way, speaking to parents and students, Jason. Oh, okay, good. They, see, rule breakers. They didn't even wait for me. I was going to say all the kids can go, to, go up to the, all the junior high and high school kids can go to class, but they all just got up and left because they're a bunch of rule breakers. Yeah, that's good. Our one rule that we taught our kids, what the one rule that my dad taught, taught us, and it was obey the first time. That was the one rule. Obey the first time. He wasn't one of those dads that was like, I'm going to count to three, you know. I'm going to give you some time to think about whether you want to obey or not. My dad didn't buy into that. He was like, 
when, when I say something, you should do it right away. So we all kind of tended to be rule keepers, except for my oldest brother. He was the, my, the oldest um, one of five. The oldest one and the, young, the bookends were always kind of pushed against it a little bit. My older brother was a prodigal. And then my youngest sister was the one who would, um, when she got spanked, which we could do back then when my, kids, my parents were raising us, she would say, didn't hurt. She was one of those. So that's like the real rule breaker. Like this, like the, all the rest of us were like hiding around the corner saying, no, Betsy, please don't say that. Just, just fake it like we do, you know? But she wouldn't do it. I, but I want to say to our pastoral team who called my bluff on saying that I'm a rule keeper, I grew up in, in a rule keeper type of a church. I grew up in kind of a, kind of a church that was, that, where the rules were really important. Like we were told, don't drink, don't dance, don't chew, or go with girls who do. Okay? So raise your hand if you grew up in a church like that. I want to see if I'm the only one. Anybody else grew up in a church like that? Don't drink. We were the, I remember my youth pastor, Jason, my youth pastor taught us uh, not to dance. You were not allowed to dance because it could, or sorry, oh, I just screwed it up. <laughs> Pretend you didn't hear that. My, Jason, our youth pastor said, don't have premarital sex because it could lead to dancing. <laughs> yeah. That was the kind of church that we grew up in. So it was kind of like the rule, it was all about the rules and, and rules for rules sake. And, and, the, and I'm just, I'm telling you, I was the rule in that scenario, I was the rule keeper. I never went to school dances. Um, I tried to have as little fun as possible growing up. Um, and then when I, met, when I met Tracy, who is now my beautiful wife, so you know the end of that story, um, when we were still dating, we went, to, we went to dinner with her sister and brother-in-law, and they had, they had a beer. They had a beer at dinner. And I, I just want, I want you to know I'm, I'm 25 years old and I'd never, I'd never hung out socially with anybody who had a beer before. I'm just telling you, I was a rule keeper. That's, I'm just being, I'm not even joking right now, like it's for real. Now my dad grew up in a tavern, literally he grew up in a tavern on the south side of Chicago. So I knew, I knew about drinking because whenever we visited grandma and grandpa, we would literally go to a tavern to visit grandma. So think about how funny that was, the way we were raised. And kids, we're going to go see grandma and grandpa at the bar. And uh, so literally they lived above the bar in an apartment, and then we walked through the bar, through, past all the regulars at the bar. My mom must have been just mortified at this, as I think about this later. And uh, so my dad grew up in that environment. But I, I think that kind of almost made it worse for us so what we did is we associated drinking with, with alcoholics. So for us, there was no middle ground. There was no, like, you can just enjoy a glass of wine or, or a beer. So when Tracy and I went to, to dinner one night with her sister and brother-in-law, and they had a beer, and they don't, they're not alcoholics, and, and they can drink responsibly, um, I, didn't, I didn't believe that that was a thing. And I judged them in my heart. Now, Tracy is smart, so she picked up on it. She could tell I was judging them in my heart. And, and the ride home was a fun ride home. <laughs> We're driving home, and, and she said, hey, is everything all right? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's like, no, what's, what's going on? I'm like, I'm just, I thought you said your sister was a Christian. 
Now, I don't think those are the words that came out of my mouth, but I'm telling you that's what I was thinking, okay? That's the judgment that I had in my heart towards someone who would dare to have a Bud Light with their, with their burger. That's how I was, for 25 years of my life, that's how I was raised. That's how I viewed it because that's how it was taught to me in church. That's how it was taught to me and modeled for me at home. And so I had just this really hardcore black and white stance on issues like that. And I didn't recognize what, that was, go- what was really going on in me. I didn't recognize, I didn't realize, and if some of you can relate to this old me, I want you to hear this. I didn't realize that that was sinful. I didn't see that as sin. But that's what it was. It was self-righteousness. And Tracy said to me, she said, show me in the Bible where it says that. And by the way, if you don't know the Bible very well, it doesn't actually say that anywhere in the Bible. It does say don't get drunk. So drunkenness is, is a sin. But it doesn't say having a glass of wine. In fact, Paul encouraged Timothy, his protege, to have a little bit of wine for his, for his frequent illnesses. So, and, and Jesus, of course, at the Last Supper, what they were drinking at the Last Supper was actually wine, even though my church kind of taught that it was grape juice. It wasn't grape juice. It was wine. So Jesus drank wine, and yet, in my zeal to follow Jesus, I didn't feel like I could drink wine or anyone else could drink wine, because that's what I was taught. And so Tracy lovingly challenged me that day, and I had to admit that I was wrong. I had to admit, as she said, show me in the Bible where it says that. And I had to swallow my pride and my self-righteousness, and I had to make a decision that day, am I going to just blindly stand on on the checklist that I was handed to me, Or am I going to look to God's word, and as value number one in our church states, is we look to God and his word in all that we do. And I looked to God and his word, and I said, this is the first and last time I had to say this to my wife, I said, you're right. (laughs) You were right. Never had to do it ever since. But we got that out of the way, and we've been happily married ever since. Now, I say that because some of you look at this and you say, okay, I I thought God was on the right end of the spectrum, and Satan's on the left end of the spectrum. You know, Republicans on the right end of the spectrum and Democrats on the left end. Of, or I don't know, maybe you see it the other way around. I'm not really sure. Just uh, you, who knows anymore, right? No, actually, it's a sin spectrum is what it is. Anywhere you find yourself on the spectrum, from rule breaker to rule keeper, however you're wired, anywhere on the spectrum, you can still be far from God. You can still be a sinner. I was further from God 25 years ago. I was further from God in my heart than the people sitting across the table that I was judging. I'm sure of it. Because I was judging them with self-righteousness in my heart. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. And so if you're, if you're looking at this and, you're, and you still have this idea that, that, you, can be, that you can be close to God Because you're a rule keeper, you're missing the point of Jesus' story. Jesus' story is that you can be far from God whether you're a rule breaker or a rule keeper. You can be far from God. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. In fact, when he told the story, he wasn't telling it primarily for rule breakers. 
You know, we think of the story of the prodigal son, and we're like, well, yeah, that's the story for prodigals. That's the story for people who have wandered away, who've had rough lives and have made poor choices. And, and it's a story for them, sure, yes. There's a great message in there that we've talked about the last two weeks, that God is for you. He's recklessly extravagant. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you, that, that you can't out God. You can't out his grace, that for sure is a message, but it actually wasn't the main audience for the story. The main audience, actually, was the rule keeper. That's who Jesus told the story for. Let's look at it. Luke 15, 1 and 2. This is what frames the story. This is what gives context to the parable. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, rule breakers, often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, the rule keepers, complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Remember this, remember this, because at this point in the story, the son comes home, the father receives him back, and then what does the father do? Throws him a feast. So the father is eating with the son at this point in the story. The father received the rule breaker son back. And this is the whole reason Jesus told the story. He told the story so that the rule, the rule keepers in the audience would be like, oh, how dare he? Why would a father do such a reckless, extravagant, prodigal thing? The, the father was the real prodigal in the story. But Jesus doesn't end the story there. He finishes the story by directly addressing the rule keeper in the story, and the rule keeper is represented by the older brother. Okay, so he's telling this story so that the older brothers, the rule keepers in the crowd, could really shockingly understand the heart of God for people. And not just for rule breakers. I want to make sure you hear this today. He wants them to understand that God has a, an extravagant heart toward rule keepers as well. Because you might, you might get the idea that God's going to just shun rule keepers. He didn't shun the rule breaker, so maybe he's going to shun the rule keeper. He doesn't shun anyone on the spectrum. He invites everyone on the spectrum to come. And this is the point of his story. So today what we're going to do is we're going to give you five marks of a rule keeper who is far from God. Now again, just because you're a rule keeper doesn't mean you have to be far from God. You can be a rule keeper who has the right heart toward God, and that's a good thing. But many people are rule keepers who are actually far from God and don't realize it, which is kind of where I was 25 years ago. So if that's you, then today this message is for you. Number one, we're going to actually look at the scripture before we come to the first one. Luke 15, 25 to 27, it says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Okay, so remember, the younger son comes home, the father receives him, throws a party for him. That's what's going on right now. There's a party going on. Can you hear it? There's a party going on. You know, the, it's the, the, the bass is really beaten. You can hear it, right? Can you hear it in your mind's eye? Okay, in the distance. He, the older son was out in the fields working the whole time, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And so he asked one of the servants what was going on, and the servant said, your brother is back. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we're celebrating because of his safe return. 
Mark number one, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. It's just so clever how Jesus tells the story. What's the son doing, the older son? He's working. He's the only one in the whole story who's not partying. He's working. Doesn't that sound like a rule keeper? He's, he's got his hand to the plow. He's diligent. He's working hard. He doesn't even know that there's a party going on. And so mark number one, that you're a rule keeper far from God, is that you work for yourself, not for the benefit of others. There's no one else out there with him. He's isolated, working hard. This is what Pharisees do. This is what rule keepers do. Bible background commentary says it like this. I love it. It says, the elder brother is apparently the only person in the village uninformed about the party. And this bursts the bounds of plausibility in the real world. In other words, this, when the hearers 2,000 years ago heard this part of the story, again, we just totally miss it because of our Western mindset. But for the Eastern mindset 2,000 years ago, they would have been like, what? No. No, that couldn't happen. It, there's no way he would be out in the fields. Work. There's no way he would be ignorant to the party. There's no way he would do it. So it bursts the bounds of plausibility where the older brother should have himself have been the one taking the lead at reconciling the father and the younger brother and the younger son. This touch of unrealism is necessary to graphically underline the older brother's isolation from the community. This is what Jesus is doing. Remember, Jesus is telling the story. He's not telling a literal story that actually happened. In my small group this week, somebody said, so is this something that actually happened? No, it's a parable. It's a par Again, it sounds plausible to us because we don't understand how much hyperbole there is in the story, but it's actually shocking right now at this point when they hear that the older brother is out working in isolation, but that's just what rule keepers do. They work and they work and they work and they work for the pat on their own back. He's not working for the community. He's not working for the sake of everybody else. His work actually causes more isolation for him, not less. Now maybe you are someone like that or maybe you know someone like that who just tries to follow the letter of the law, dots all of his I's and crosses all of his T's. And you probably know that that person tends to not have very many friends. Because they're, they're like me, how I was. In their heart, they're judging. In their heart, they're self-righteous. And so I'm better than you, and 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 I'm out here in the field working longer than you to prove it. And that's a rule keeper who's far from God. Number two, you get mad at God for his extravagance toward others. Look what it says in verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Let's just pause for a second. Let's just, think, let's just catch up on the story here. Think about what was happening. His younger brother had taken his inheritance early. He runs off. He spent, squanders it all. Remember the father was probably like every day stepping out on the porch looking to see if his if his son would come home yet, worrying if he's even alive, wondering what's going on. He can't follow him on the Life360 app. He doesn't know, you know, we follow our kids every single day on the app. Kenzie lives, lives in Salt Lake. When she, go, when she drives home, when, I'm always, because I'm a good dad, I'm always looking on the app to see if she made it home safely, right? 
I'm always doing it. I can't go to bed till I know that she made it home safely. Tracy checks their whereabouts every day of the week. She's always clued in to kind of where they are. We're not spying on our kids. Um, but we just care about them. We just want to know what's going on in their lives, right? We care about our kids. That's what the father was doing in the story. The father was stepping out on the porch every day to see if his son was coming home. And when his son was home, he was ready. And he ran out to meet him like we saw last week. The older brother didn't give him one thought. Just think about that for a second. The older brother wasn't losing any sleep over it. The older brother wasn't praying for the safety of his younger brother. The older brother, his response wasn't, no way, I thought he was dead. This is awesome. This is great news. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Like a regular older brother would do. The older brother is angry and won't go in. This is what a Pharisee does. This is what someone who is a rule keeper and yet misses the whole point. This is what that person does. He's angry, he's angry at his father's extravagance. He's angry at his father's goodness. And that goes along with point number three, mark number three, is that you're blind to God's extravagance toward you. Look at the story. This is, this is interesting. Again, I didn't even really notice this the first hundred times I read this story. But I want you to see this this time. It says that his father came out and begged him. Now again, we would just pass right over that. We would be like, okay, yeah, that sounds right. You know, the, the son is being kind of obstinate, is kind of being a little bit of a brat. I get it though. I mean, he's mad at his older brother, I, or his younger brother. I kind of get it. The father comes out, out of the party, and begs him to come in. But actually, we're missing a big part of this because of our Western mindset. Look at what the Bible background commentary says. Publicly refusing to enter in the midst of a party makes an intra-family dispute public news, dampening the celebration, and worse yet, shaming his father just as the younger brother had in a culture where honor and shame were essential values. This is also a grievous insult to the father's dignity and could have warranted discipline or being disinherited. Did you know that? Did you realize that? That again, as the hearers are listening to this, when the father has to leave the party to come beg the son to come in, 2,000 years ago, the hearers would have been like, oh, how dare he? The older brother, how dare the older brother do that to his father? How shameful for him to do that to his father. See, two weeks ago, we were all saying that about the younger son when he said, you're dead to me, give me the inheritance. We're like, okay, we get that, that's rude. That's wrong. That's dishonoring. But we don't realize how dishonoring this is. This is equally dishonoring that the older brother would act like this to his father. But instead of punishing him, the father comes out and humbles himself, gives up his honor to seek reconciliation with his older son. So when we read the story, we see a prodigal father toward the prodigal son, but no, no, it's a prodigal father toward the older son, too. He is being just as extravagant, just as reckless, just as gracious, just as kind to the older brother as he was to the younger brother, because the older brother deserved it just as much, or not deserved it, needed it, required it just as much as the younger brother did. 
See, the thing with rule keepers, and I was this way, is you somehow fool yourself into thinking that you don't need grace like the rule breaker does. The rule breaker really needs grace, but you don't need grace because you're a good person. You've earned it. You're a good guy. You haven't really breaking the, I mean, really break. Okay, so you went 30 and a 25, but that's not really breaking the rules. You don't see your self-righteousness. You don't see your arrogant heart, which is arguably way worse than a prodigal's heart. And you see the rule breaker as the guy who needs God's extravagant grace, but you don't see yourself that way. And yet in this story, 2,000 years ago, the hearers would have said, this father is over the top. This father is so gracious, he should be slapping his older son. But no, he's going out begging him to come in. Number four, you look at relationships transactionally. Look at what the older brother says. It's really interesting. He says, all these years, I've slaved for you. Doesn't that sound like a rule keeper? I mean, just try to capture the heart of the older brother. We've seen the heart of the father. Try to capture the heart of the older brother now, because finally he talks. All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. Which, by the way, does anybody know a son who could really genuinely say that? So first of all, I don't even think that's true, probably, judging from my son. But, but he thinks it's true because that's what a rule keeper does. And he says this, in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Okay, just real quick, just so you know. Goat is like this. Calf is like this. Fattened calf is like this. So the, the younger son comes home and gets celebrated with a fattened calf, like a double Big Mac, you know. And the the older son, the older son who's just playing, this is a pity party, he's like, you wouldn't even give me a cheeseburger? Like just a little cheeseburger? He gets two Big Macs and you won't even give me a cheeseburger? Not even just a little goat? You give him a fattened calf? I just want a little, can I just have a little goat? Do you see the arrogance in his attitude? Do you see the self-pity and the self-righteousness in his attitude? And then he says this, yet, when this son of yours, you see what he did there? It's not even his brother anymore. It's this son of yours. Moms, have you ever said that to your, by the way, when you're fighting about your kids, you're fighting with your husband about it, and you're like, your son, did you hear what your son did today? Yeah, and then I'm like, well, is he not your son anymore? He's only my son when he's doing stupid stuff, right? Yes, that's right. Did you hear what your son did today? And that's what he's saying. When this son of yours, I've already disinherited him. He's already dead to me. Why is he not dead to you, Dad? He should be dead to you, but you took him back. When this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. He gets the double Big Mac. How dare you, Dad? How dare you? 
I want you to see what the Bible background commentary says about this. Because again, we read this and we might even miss the importance of this, but I want to make sure you understand that the hearers in Jesus' day were just like shocked at this son's response. They understood the hyperbole that Jesus was trying to display here. Failing to greet one's father with a title, like father or sir, was a grievous insult to the father's dignity. Go back and read it for yourself later today, but at the beginning of the story, when the youngest son comes to his dad, he doesn't say father, he just says, I want my money, very dishonoring. But when he comes back after his change of heart, go read it for yourself, he says, Father, I'm so sorry. Would you take me back as your servant? So he respects him now. So in that, he's showing his respect by the way he's addressing his father. He didn't respect him at first, then he has a change of heart, and now he does respect him. But the older brother doesn't say father. Again, something we would miss because we don't think of that in our culture, but in, in their culture, that was a big deal. He just says, how dare you, Dad? I can't believe it. That was just so insulting to the father. It was this insult to his dignity. But the, cool, the cooler thing I want to show you is that the son emphasizes his service even though the father wanted a son rather than a servant. Just think about this for a second. When the younger son comes home, what did he come home, what message did he come home with? I just want to be your servant. I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. I just want to be your servant. And what does the father say? No way. I don't want a servant. I never did. I want a son. I want, re- I want a relationship with you. I don't want you just to do things for me. I want a relationship with you. See, looking at it, God transactionally says, I do this and this and this and this and this for him. And then he has to do this and this and this and this and this for me. That's transactional relationship. And here's the problem with that. No one has ever successfully had a right relationship with God transactionally, ever. Read the Old Testament, read the New Testament. Nobody ever had a relationship according, that would be called a relationship according to the requirements of the law. Nobody ever had a relationship with God according to the requirements of the law because we always, we always fail to keep up our end of the bargain. As good as we try to be, we always fail to keep up our end of the bargain bargain. So we cannot have a right relationship with God transactionally. The only way that we can have a relationship with God is by what Jesus did for us on the cross. When Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law and then he went to the cross, the perfect sacrifice in our place. And the Bible says that the only basis for a relationship with God, and the word for that in the Bible is grace, the only basis for a relationship with God that we have any hope for is by grace, that we come to him by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, lest any, any of you boast. So you can't work your way to heaven, and yet the older brother was out in the fields working his way to a party with a goat. He was working his way in this transactional way with his father. That's how he viewed his relationship with his father from the beginning. He viewed it transactionally. I do this, you do that, tit for tat. I do this, you give me that. And and what we see in the father's heart from the very beginning is he said, I never wanted it, 
not with my younger son and not with my older son. The difference is the younger son comes home and says, okay, cool. I won't try to be your servant. I'll just be your son. And then he has a party. The older son is saying, I want to be your servant. I want to serve. I want to earn. I don't want you to give. I want to earn it. I want to work for it. That's transactional. And it doesn't work with God. Because again, we see the sin in his heart. We see that this older son, his heart was dark. His heart was, was tainted even though he didn't see it in his own self-righteousness. And so then there's one more thing. The last mark that you're a rule keeper far from God is kind of the most obvious mark, and it's that you stay on the outside. You're actually far from God. You're not where he is. Because think about how the story ends. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. Do you see the language that the father uses? It's not transactional language. It's relational. He says, you're my son, dear son. That's, relate, that's endearment. You're my dear son. I can't believe the father is still talking like that to his son. He's not like, get out of here. You're dead to me. I can't believe you're so disrespectful to me. You self-righteous. I want to slap you upside the head. That's not what he says. He says, dear son, I love you. I always have loved you. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And that's verse 32, and that's where the story ends. That's where the parable ends. Check it in your own Bibles. You'll see there's no more parable there. He goes on to the next thing now. In other words, the story ends with the son on the outside. The story ends with the son. It's kind of unresolved. We're not really sure what happened with the son. We're not really sure if he, if he goes into the party or not. We don't know. I think Jesus probably leaves it open-ended kind of on purpose so that you're, you know, like a good movie. You're like, I wonder what really happened there at the end. And it's sort of a choose-your-own-adventure. And that's how it is for us. For those of you who are kind of rule keepers, you, maybe you could relate to my story when I was self-righteous. And you'd say, yeah, that kind of describes me. That's, I mean, it's hard to come to that conclusion it's hard to be self-aware about stuff like that, I think, because it takes the, the willingness to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. I am wrong. Rule breakers tend to get to that place more easily than rule keepers. That's what the story tells us. The rule breaker came to his senses because all of the circumstances in his life he ended up kind of at, at the bottom, right? Like when, you're at, when you hit rock bottom, there's nowhere to look but up. So, so he's like, man, I was wrong. The rule breaker was able to say that. But a lot of times rule keepers can kind of just plot along in life and do, do okay. You know, they stay out of jail. They stay out of trouble. You know, a lot of times they, their marriages can make, the, make it the distance. I mean, not, not all the time, but a lot of times they do. And they can keep a job and... And, and they put money in savings because they're rule, they're rule keepers. And they, they, they feel like they can kind of control their environment. They control what's going on. And so they, they feel pretty good about themselves at the end of the day. And a lot of times the rule keepers never hit rock bottom. So the rule keepers many times don't ever come to their senses. They never say, ooh, 
Ooh, I was wrong. Huh, wait, maybe I'm self-righteous. Wait a second, maybe I need God just as much as that guy needs God. And this is what Jesus wants us to get here. So I challenge you for yourself. Look at those five marks of a rule keeper and ask yourself, are you, are you far from God? And if you are, then just like in the younger brother's story, it's the exact same solution, is just repent. Come to your senses and say, God, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. I can't believe I didn't see it, but I was wrong. I get it now. Would you forgive me? Would you take me back? And the Bible says that we see this in the story, that God will, because he wants relationship with all of us, rule keepers and rule breakers. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you for this story. Thank you that there's something in there for all of us. And, and for me, as a guy who certainly early on in my life, I really resonated with the older brother in this story. And thank you, Lord, that you saved me. Thank you, God, that you didn't, that you didn't look at that self-righteousness and that arrogance and you didn't write me off. But you were as gracious to me as you were to the prodigal son. And so I pray for the person who's in here today who relates to this rule keeper and who maybe today realize that they have a little bit of self-righteousness in them. And I pray that they would come to their senses today and turn to you in faith and confess it. And God, that you would just restore a relationship with them that probably they never had before where they can see your extravagance toward all of us. Thank you that this is the God that we serve and that this is the God that we read about. In Jesus' name, amen.